Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Caregiver and Physician Conversations, sponsored by eCareDiary.com. I am your host, Marjorie Pabst, author of Enrich Your Caregiving Journey and Words of Care. Please visit my website at mycaregivingcoach.com, where you'll find many resources for the busy caregiver. Today, I welcome back Dr. Carrie Prasant, who is the author of Surviving American Medicine, How to Get the Right Doctor, the Right Hospital, and the Right Treatment with Today's Healthcare. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Prasant. Well, thank you very much. It's nice to be with you and with all our listeners today. Um, Dr. Prasant is a, is a regular contributor to the Huffington Post. He is a hematologist and medical oncologist in Southern California, where he is currently clinical professor of medicine at the University of Southern California, Keck School of Medicine. His book received the 2013 International Book Award for Best Book in Healthcare. Again, talk, uh, congratulations, Dr. Prezant, on well, that wonderful accolade. Well, thank you very much. It's most important because it helps to get the book into the hands of more people whom it can help and their caregivers, and who it really provides a guide for for navigating uh, around the healthcare system. But thank you very much for, for telling our listeners that. Well, you're welcome. Um, Dr. Brazant is an awarded researcher. He's written over 400 articles on healthcare, and his current research deals with developing predictors for personalizing medical treatment for cancer patients. Um, as a caregiver who has had three loved ones who have had cancer, uh, and probably many of you listening today, we all know that you know general chemotherapy is can be very debilitating. So, Dr. Prasant's work in having more uh, specific predictors and more targeted treatment is certainly something we all welcome. You can find uh, out more about his work after this interview at survivingamericanmedicine.com or if you're a physician uh, listening in today, you can find his work at Medscape. Today, Dr. Prasant is going to provide some information to us on developing your medical team as you care for a loved one or friend. Uh, we're going to look at ways that you know, who should be on your team, how to lead communications if you're a caregiver, how to encourage and get the best results from your team. All of these, of course, um, add up to your being a caregiver leader. So, Dr. Prasant, let's begin by defining what you mean by a caregiver's medical team. Well, you know, as I point out in my book, Surviving American Medicine, uh, which is a book that I wrote because of concerns that patients have. I saw many patients who didn't have a team approach to their care. And as a result, I describe in the book, Surviving American Medicine, assembling your team. And so uh, who should be on that team? The book, which is available at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com, uh, and it can come in electronic versions or in uh, paperback or hardcover, uh, describes this in a lot more detail. But let's 
describe it right now. First of all, you as the patient are the leader of the team, but if you're not really you know, comfortable with that, you need to have a caregiver, a, a family member or uh, a friend who can be on the team with you and help you to make decisions. And that caregiver can act as the captain of the team as well. So you and your family and friends should be on the team. Who else should be on that team? Well, certainly your doctor should be on the team. And it's not just one doctor, but usually your primary care doctor and the specialists who are treating you. So if we look at cancer, my specialty, uh, obviously it would include an oncologist. It might include a radiation oncologist as well as a medical oncologist. It might include the surgeon. Uh, it might include other doctors who have seen you as well. It might be a cardiologist or a doctor, uh, others who have seen you. But that doctor group is certainly another very important set of members of your team. The next member of your team that's really important to remember is your insurance company. And with your insurance company, it might be your insurance agent who helped you to get the policy, or it might be uh, human resources at work who has enabled you to have the particular insurance, uh, or it might be a social worker who's helped you uh, to get that insurance as well. Uh, the insurance company itself may have a, a patient advocacy department. But the whole concept of having insurance, making certain that it provides access for you to the care you need, is very important. And you can't neglect them as a member of your team because if you need a procedure done or an x-ray or a scan uh, or some type of therapy, you have to make certain that the insurance company is going to pay for that so that you don't wind up having a huge bill that's not going to be taken care of on the insurance that you have. And usually that insurance agent or a human resources person or social worker can tell you exactly what's covered, where it's covered, how it's covered, and what your co-pays might be. So the insurance component of your healthcare team is very important. Then the next one is, is the hospital. You need to make certain you know where the hospital is that's, number one, covered by your insurance, number two, where your doctors go, number three, that it's available to you so you know how to get there in an emergency, you know how to use it, you know that they have your insurance information there on file so you know that uh, you don't have to spend uh, an hour trying to get them to figure out if you're covered or not. Hospital is very important and knowing how to use it is important. Many hospitals actually have uh, little tours that can go through to show you where everything is in the hospital, and they have people that you can contact as the patient advocacy uh, area or patient interaction area or patient support area, volunteers or staff members who can guide you through the hospital so you know all about it. And then the last person that I have as the regular member of the team is your pharmacist because so many aspects of care depend upon having the right medication. Your pharmacist is really important because your pharmacist will know what your doctor's ordered uh, and any of your doctors. Make certain that it's not redundant. That means reconciling all your medications so that we know that each and every one is needed and not duplicative of something else you're already getting. And also able to talk with you as a caregiver, you as a patient, to make certain you understand 
the, the benefits of the medication, the side effects of the medication, when you have to take it with or without food, with or without other medications, and what you have to watch out for if it's not really working with you or if it's having side effects. So that's an important member of the team because in the past, we used to be comfortable that the doctor would give you all that information. Well, happens to Betsy, we know that the healthcare reform has made it so busy that the doctor often doesn't have time to describe everything to you, and even the doctor's staff sometimes doesn't do that. So the pharmacist is able to step in and really provide you with a lot of information. The other thing that the pharmacist can do, and this is really important for people, you may have noticed that medicine has gotten really expensive. Uh, we know that medicines can cost up to $100,000 to $200,000 per year for these expensive new medications that might be oral medicines, they might be pills, they might be IV medicines, but the pills actually become very, very expensive. Even generic drugs, which come from multiple sources, have become more and more expensive. And the pharmacist can identify how much it's going to cost you, what your insurance is going to pay for it, how much your copay is, can also identify if there are programs that can help you to get partial support for the medicine. So the pharmacist can say, call the company that makes it or call your doctor's office because there's a program the doctor's office has for this uh, or can give you the contact information that can help to provide you with that. So these are all the people on your regular healthcare team. That's great. That's great. And, you know, a, a couple of uh, thoughts come to my mind, uh, Dr. Prezant. It sounds like, you know, the team can change from time to time as, as uh, you uh, caregive and as your uh, loved one's uh, illness changes or whatever. So I'm assuming you would recommend periodic uh, review of who's on your team, and is there any are there additional people or that need to be, or are there some now who can fall off the team because treatment is concluded or for whatever reason? Correct, and, and many of my patients bring in a list, and their list includes their current medications, their diagnoses, and all the doctors who've been there, and which their hospitals are, and who their pharmacy is. Uh, and uh, this has been very, very helpful to us to look at, even at the beginning of just a regular office visit, to reassure myself that I know I am reminded of all the people who are on the team. Yeah. Also, can be highlighted with a little colored marker and say, this is a new one that you didn't know about before that we've added. Because a lot of other uh, kinds of components of that healthcare team may pop in from time to time. And who might they be? Well, dieticians are a very common source. I mean, so if you're caregiving for diabetes or for malnutrition or for gastrointestinal problems, ulcers or colitis, things like that, dietitian becomes very important to help to guide people. Also, pulmonary support for patients who have emphysema, cardiologist support, uh, cardiac uh, rehab programs, for example. Regular rehab programs are often a part of the team so that you can get strength back and you can uh, have a better quality of life and do the activities of daily living much more completely. A lot of people have a lot of interest in complementary or alternative medicines, things that they've heard about on the Internet, they've heard about from other people, and which the doctor may not have considered discussing with the patient. 
And so sometimes there's a complementary or alternative uh, doctor who becomes a part of the team. And I have patients who go to an alternative medicine doctor as well as me, and we send copies back and forth of what we're doing for the patient so we know that that uh, we're in sync with each other. That's great. I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh A psychologist might be helpful, and even a pain medicine doctor uh, or a pain program might be on that that group as well. I thought I have as your thing is you were talking about uh, people coordinating with each other. One of the things that has always um, distressed me and uh, confounded me when I've been a caregiver has been how do you how do you coordinate getting people to talk to each other? Is it the caregiver's role uh, to or or their it is their responsibility to get say. Um, a holistic uh, person, uh, alternative care person with talking to their primary care physician or is that something that the caregiver can ask for and assume that these people are going to coordinate and communicate? How, how do you na- navigate that whole issue of communications among team members? Well, you know, if you're at a large institution that has multiple components in it and one electronic medical record, it sort of communicates by itself, doesn't it? I mean, the the one record, everybody adds things into it. And so if you go to, say, a comprehensive uh, cancer center that's gotten a grant from the National Cancer Institute, been awarded that designation, most of them, Almost everyone has a complementary and alternative uh, component to it, and they just enter their results uh, with everything else, with everyone uh, else's in the electronic medical record. But so often, a patient is taken care of by uh, community-based physicians as well as uh, different specialists, and getting them to communicate with each other is very important. So one way to do that is to make certain, number one, you keep your own medical record and you get a copy of the notes each time you see a doctor and bring it with you to the other doctor and give them a copy of the note. The other thing is to make certain that if your doctor uses electronic medical records, and about 70% of American doctors are now using them, it's a little bit higher in cancer, uh, a little bit lower in, uh, in primary care, uh, it winds up that most of them will have electronic medical record, and they, if you give them the fax information or the email information or the messaging information of another doctor, they'll send over a copy of their note automatically. But sometimes other uh, uh, programs like rehab uh, programs or like uh, psychologists or like uh, holistic medicine or alternative medicine places don't have that capability. So you have to physically get that either faxed to other places or bring it into other places so they know what's going on. The caregiver has a lot of responsibility in that and the patient has lots of responsibility. So working as a caregiver patient team, you need to make certain that you've got everything right up to date. That avoids problems later on. In an emergency, you'll, the emergency room in the hospital might need to know who else do we have to contact, what else has been going on in the patient's care. And so having that information available is very important. And in my book, Surviving American Medicine, there's a whole chapter on keeping your own medical records, what should be in it, 
how should you keep it, how can you organize it, and how do you bring it with you when you go on vacation or when you go uh, to see a new doctor. It really helps in making your care better. That's great. Well, I have read your book, and I have to say that that chapter in particular spoke to me uh, about ways to uh, coordinate and facilitate uh, information. You also talk, uh, Dr. Prasant, about uh, communicating expectations, that that's often an overlooked thing. And so tell us about um, the communicating expectations in a clear, tactful way and what caregivers and families can do when those expectations are not met. Well, you know, it's very funny because just five minutes before I got on the phone today, I had a patient who just came out of surgery and was very angry because she said, you know, they never told me that I might be in the intensive care unit for like five days or seven days. They said to me, oh, five days you'll be out of the hospital. Well, it wasn't like that at all. And I could have dealt with it much better had they told me what the expectations were and what kinds of long-term and short-term side effects I might have, which they never explained to me very well. So how do we deal with that kind of a problem, which is very common in uh, patient-doctor relationships? The first thing you do is, as a caregiver or as a patient, you should have a list of questions that you ask regarding the what you should be expecting out of a treatment or a test or a surgery or anything else like that. Uh, what are I know what the benefits are. That's why you're, you, doctor, are telling me these things. But let's go down one by one the side effects that might be occurring, the, the problems that could occur during this uh, type of a treatment or uh, during this type of operation. What are the expectations I should have of uh, getting any of these complications? What will you do if I get them? How will we take care of them? What's the best I can expect? What's also the worst I can expect? Now, if you as a patient or a caregiver are concerned about all of these things, you can always get a second opinion. And the second opinion can go to another doctor, uh, another institution, say, you know, the previous doctor told me this, 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 and this, and I just want to make certain that I really need this treatment or I need this uh, kind of uh, uh, surgery. I want to know if the expectations I understand from the previous doctor are the same that, that you might say that I would, I would get. So there's a lot of responsibility of asking the right questions on the part of the caregiver or on the part of the patient and getting all the answers from the doctor or the doctor's uh, nurse practitioner or physician yeah. assistant so you have everything down and you should have it on paper. You can yeah. also record it. I mean, people don't realize today that that little smartphone that you bought that helps you to stay in touch with all your family also can be used as a tape recorder or as a recorder when you're in talking with a physician and say, well, let me just let me just take this down so I understand that I can talk about it with my family. Uh, you know, can you? That's a great me? idea. <laughs> That's a and even if you don't have a smartphone, you know, for twenty bucks you can get a little uh, recorder. Uh, over at any radio store, uh, and it's so easy to pop a little tape or a little disc in and just record something, and uh, that way you'll be able to talk about it later on. And uh, it really does help to keep everybody on the healthcare team, the family, the friends, uh, caregiver, uh, all on the same page with the patient and the doctors so we know exactly what expectations are 
and we don't have any kind of disappointment that you never found out about something and don't have any unrealistic expectations of how good everything is going to be without also knowing what are the potential problems. We spend a lot of time talking with patients, and my nurses spend a lot of time taking patients through education about the treatments which we're going to give. You have to expect that the doctor or the nurses, the staff, will go through those things with you. And if you're not getting it, well, that might be time for a second opinion. And in my book, Surviving American Medicine, available at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com, in the book there's a whole chapter on uh, Dr. Prezant's Ten Commandments about second opinions, where you get them, how you get them, when you, when you should be needing one, and, and uh, what different types of second opinions there are. And this helps a person to navigate through the, through the uh, healthcare system and helps the caregiver to set an agenda of uh, who do we need to see and when do we need to see them. Oh, that's, that's terrific. Um, I'm going to sort of summarize this first uh, comments that you've made um, and ask the question, what are strategies to get the best performance from your team? And I know uh, from what you've said, uh, certainly is to keep data organized, to take notes, to carry them with you, to share them with each member of your team uh, and ensure that they know the most up-to-date, accurate information um, of your loved one's health. Um, are there other key strategies I've missed um, in our discussion today or something I've forgotten? Well, that I think there, there are a couple, couple things that I think we ought to uh, cover. Number one, caregivers can get overwhelmed sometimes too. So sometimes yeah. the caregiver needs to watch their own health and get their own support, make certain that they're, they're up to date. Number two, Supportive care groups are terrific, and there are active support groups at hospitals and institutions. There are also online uh, support groups. They help to clarify in people's minds uh, what other people are doing and how they can use their best strategies to, to uh, approach their problems. Uh, so that becomes very, very important. And third is using the Internet intelligently so you get a lot of information there, and it it shouldn't be the answers that you get on the Internet. It should be the information that provides you with questions to ask the other members of your healthcare team, whether it's your doctors or uh, whether it's the hospital or the pharmacist or whether it's uh, the insurance agent or, or social services, um, but certainly gives you additional questions that you can raise. Write them down on a piece of paper. You don't have to remember them 24-7. Write them down and bring them with you on a piece of paper to ask the doctor the next time. I often recommend writing the question down exactly as you want to ask it so that you don't wonder just with a, a single word like fatigue uh, how you're going to describe it to the doctor. So uh, working through and getting that organized, just as you emphasized, getting organized is so very, very important for people. I really like your idea of um, and thinking about the Internet as a place not just to get answers, but more importantly, to develop questions that are, um, that are, are good questions, that are open-ended, that, that will glean you the most information uh, when you do meet with uh, members of your medical team. I like that distinction a lot, and uh, so thank you for that. Well, we have just a little bit of time to uh, explore. You mentioned earlier alternative and holistic medical professionals. 
as, as potential members of the team. And um, let me ask you this in a few moments we have remaining. Why should we consider um, activities like guided meditation, um, like exercise programs, um, the, the arts even? Um, why should we consider alternative and holistic medical profession, professionals? Well, you know, uh, sometimes physicians don't spend enough time with issues related to uh, quality of life, with issues related to fatigue or uh, you know, uh, lack of strength or lack of ability to focus and concentrate. And yet we know that a lot of these supportive programs, such as yoga, meditation, progress, uh, guided relaxation, uh, exercise programs, uh, they can help to increase a person's focus, increase a person's quality of life, increase a person's strength, and reduce their fatigue, and also increase their appetite and their uh, desire to do things. At the end of the day, quality of life is what everything's about. And sometimes these alternative medicines can contribute significantly to it. Now, we shouldn't say that they always do, but they can do it. And so asking your physician about those uh, programs, asking other patients about what programs they've used can be very, very helpful. You know, sometimes my patients who go to yoga find that there are other patients there who have the exact same thing that they do, and they go and they have to, it becomes not just a yoga, but it becomes, it becomes actually a little support group that the patients have in common. Uh, yes, the yoga itself is terrific for them uh, and does improve strength and does improve uh, attitude, does improve uh, their uh, uh, reduced depression, et cetera. But in addition the ability to come converse with other people and get more information from them. What are you doing about this? Here's what I do about that. Uh, this becomes very, very important for people. So I encourage you to find such programs. Find uh, you know, some uh, people who can uh, give you the description of the benefits that these programs can bring to you. But I wouldn't use that as the sole focus, and I certainly do not recommend that you use yoga or alternative uh, kinds of health professionals in place of the usual pro professionals, and usual oncologists or uh, primary care doctors or specialists in your own particular condition. These should be viewed as complementary, not alternative. Complementary because they help in your care and coordinating that care and getting better outcomes. Wonderful. That, thank you very much. Well, um, for our audience, I want to remind all of you that, as usual, we will have an archive of this conversation with Dr. Prasant. It uh, should be posted um, by tomorrow or the next day on ecardiary.com, on my website, uh, mycaregivingcoach.com, and on uh, Dr. Prasant's Website, if you'll remind us of that, Dr. Prasad. SurvivingAmericanMedicine.com, and that will link you into articles. It will link you into the book. Uh, it will link you into so many things. SurvivingAmericanMedicine.com. Uh, it will uh, guide you to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com where you can get the book. Uh, and uh, in any of its forms, either electronic or uh, paperback, etc. And all of these wind up being very, very useful uh, for, uh, for people to uh, take a look at and help them through their own 
strategies to control their condition and get better care. Survivingamericanmedicine.com. Great. Look and it can help you. Yes. Well, and I can attest to that. I think the value of Dr. Prasant's book is that you find these very specific uh, lists of how to how to everything from uh, developing your team to facilitating your team to finding a second opinion to et cetera, et cetera, holistic alternatives uh, to primary medicine. You'll find all of that, and it's in one resource. And I've seen a lot of books, but I've not seen the amount of detail in one resource like we can uh, see in Dr. Prasant's book. So we are going to have Dr. Prasant back on at another time. We will be um, letting you all know in the, in the future, very soon in the future, when that date will be. So look for that. Um, Dr. Kerry Prasant, we can't thank you enough uh, for being on our program again. And we look forward to your coming back again as a guest. Thanks, Marjorie, for having me on, and good luck to everybody. Get good health care, keep in good health, uh, stay healthy, uh, and enjoy your life. Right. Uh, I ditto that. Thanks to all of our listeners, and have a wonderful day, everyone. Bye-bye.